ready to go this morning? Awesome. Well, we're so glad that you're here. Aren't you glad that you could come freely to the house of God today? Man, I know you are the house of the Lord, but it's nice when the church can gather together and worship our King. Amen. Now, this morning, we're going to continue on just doing and talking about a few things because I know, I mean, it's just been so beautiful to see. This is a season people are hungry for the Lord. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's regularly being opportunities to meet people throughout our city. People are hungry and they're looking for Jesus. So let's continue to be those people. I tell you, we are Jesus people in this church family. We love the Lord. Aren't you thankful for what Jesus has done in your life? I mean, that's what really what we've been talking about, grace. When you unwrap and open grace up, you can't help but fall more and more in love with Jesus. I know for myself, if I've been studying and going into grace, it's like for me, it's like getting born again, again. Anybody know what I mean by that? It's just your passion gets ignited and you just go, Jesus, man, you're amazing. So we've been asking these questions and I want to continue to bring that to your attention because this is something that's been my prayer, our prayer as a leadership team for this church family is, Lord, what do you want to build in us so you can work through us? And I think those are crucial. That's a crucial thing to go because listen, it's so easy just to kind of do Christian life and oh, I'm a Christian. And so I just, you know, I'm a Christian. That's how that's it. And what I love about this is actually when Robert was just sharing a bit of his testimony, I was reminded of this in scripture, Jeremiah chapter one, verse 12, that God watches over his word to perform it. Now, I really want you and I to get an understanding or a glimpse of this perspective that God in heaven, he's saying, thank God he sits high and he looks low. But from this perspective, he is looking over his word to watch people who step out on it and do it. Those are the ones that get blessed in their deeds. So being a Christian is not just, well, I accepted Jesus one time and now that's it. It's now you learning to cooperate and work with the Spirit of God in this life so that we can see the Word of God actually move on our behalf. Now really think about it. God watches over His Word. He's not watching over my Word. He's not watching over the church's Word. He's watching over His Word to perform it. So I don't know about you, but the B-I-B-L-E became a very important book to me when I realized that God is actually watching over it to see what mankind does with it. I mean, you think about it. Over the years, I mean, if, if take a, like heaven's perspective for a moment, and you watch and you start looking at from heaven's perspective all the times that God was able to move, heaven just going, oh, somebody stepped on the word, and they are now have to go in and step in because, hey, Heaven's word is being operated on. So church, let me encourage you. Don't just be hearers of what we talk about. We got to become doers of this word because the doers, according to what James says, those that get blessed in their deeds. So again, we've been asking this, this question. I'll, you guys put it on the board for me. But we've been wanting, Lord, what can you build in us? Build this in us. Build in me. Can you say make it personal? Build in me. What? I want to know the culture of heaven. I want to know how heaven operates. Listen, you've, bought, you've been taken out. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you are placed into the kingdom of his dear son. You left one place and you entered another. And I don't know about you, but I want to learn how this new kingdom operates, how it functions. And I'm so glad that Jesus came to reveal that. Next thing now, after the culture, Lord, build in us now the lifestyle of heaven. Understanding the lifestyle, which is simply learning to experience all that Jesus died and paid for on your behalf. Right? We talked about this as a conversation that the Father started between grace and faith. This is our, the conversation. Grace is God's handle on us, and faith is our handle on God. It's a beautiful conversation. Grace has already declared. Grace has already done. And now faith is simply a positive response to what grace has already accomplished. Can I get an uh -huh on that? You just simply got to go, I believe that to be true. Grace says you're free. Faith's response is, thank you, I receive it. Not, well, I sure don't feel it. It has nothing to do with our feelings. So when we get a grasp of the culture of heaven and how it operates, which is the love of God, now you start to understand the culture or the, the lifestyle of heaven, I should say. And then from there, Lord, build in us the flow of heaven. How does heaven flow? Who's making it flow? Are we just pulling strings here as a church going, well, let's try this and see if it works. Anybody ever tried doing that before? Uh, let's just try it and see if this ever happens. If we any, go anywhere with it. Anybody ever try any of that? Okay, thank you for your honesty, the four of you. 
Now the rest of you will pray for you. We've tried that. But there is a flow with heaven. And what is that? It's actually learning to be led by the Spirit of God on the inside. No more being led or, you know, my, my mood swings. My, well, what happens out in the world is now dictating my response. Well, they're going to do this, so I'm going to do this. You're reacting to what the world is trying to do. And the reason why we don't want to flow with that, because the world is constantly changing. News every day. They need to give you a current event that's just taken place. So it's always up and down. Things are constantly changing. But the Spirit of God never changes. He will lead you. He will direct you. And he will always show you where you need to go at the right place at the right time. Like even just what Robert just shared. Even a testimony of getting planted into a local church family. How beautiful is that? People kind of think, well, that's that's a small thing. It's a huge deal where you go to church. It's a huge deal. Who you connect with on a family. It's a major deal. Life and death, to be real honest about it. Now, as we continuing on, the Father, I'm so thankful, has made heaven available and known to us through Jesus. God was so passionate about getting and establishing this new covenant in the earth that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus not only revealed who the Father is, but he actually revealed who you and I are as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So Jesus came to now reveal again the identity that was lost way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came not only to reveal the Father again, but to restore the identity because we had an identity crisis. Now, in, here's the reality. You are either in Christ or you are in crisis. You can't be both. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in him. I look really good in him. All right. Now, the question we have to answer for ourselves is, are you willing, this is where you come in, are you willing to align your life? Are you willing to align your thinking to match up what heaven has already said? God is not going to force his ideas on you. God is not going to enforce his will on you. God is not going to make you walk in love. God's not going to make you experience his grace. God's not going to make you follow the leadership of the Spirit of God. This is where a willingness on my part goes, Lord, I'm willing to adopt your way of living for my my way of living. This is what I was taught at home. This is what I was taught in church. Did you know sometimes church folk, we don't think properly. It says not renew your mind to the church. It says renew your mind to his word. Yo. (laughs) So I don't know about you, but this is where the willingness part comes in. Are you willing to change the way you think to match what heaven says? Are you willing to all of a sudden, it's easy to say amen to it, to all of a sudden you get into your first fight and you're going, man, I want to tear a strip off that guy. I'm going to beat him up real good. Or am I going to go, Lord, what would you do in this situation? There's a whole different way of living, people. Did you know that? And it's available. So are you willing? Okay, yes, willing. Now, let's get into this because Jesus' first coming changes everything. And so why are we talking about this? Because when you see the Father, you're able to now see how you're supposed to live life. I mean, you and I, we developed habits, we developed ideas, we developed kind of really our paradigm from the household or our surroundings where we grew up in, correct? Correct. So what is so good about this New Testament and the great news about this, this Jesus that came for us is that he revealed and showed us a brand new way of living that's the highest living possible. <laughs> that should get you excited a little bit. That wherever you may be feeling stuck right now, but God is about to unstuck some of y'all by just simply going, Lord, I'm willing to change this way of thought. I'm willing to adopt your ways. And here's the thing, unstuck is right around the corner. All right, so now this Jesus, he came and he changed everything. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Again, to understand again, we have to see what did Jesus say about his coming. He says, don't misunderstand why I came, why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. What does he say? No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So it wasn't that Jesus was the law is bad and that the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws, those are bad, 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 bad. No, he's saying they are pure and holy, but you can't keep them. You don't know how to keep them. You could try as hard as you want and you'll always fail. So I came to fulfill it on your behalf. 
So Jesus' first coming, what we celebrate in this season at Christmas, is his first coming, and his first coming changed everything. It changed the way that we relate to God. He changed the way that God relates to us. Right? Jesus revealed the heart of the Father, and as we said, Jesus came to fulfill the demands that the law required of you. It was required. You had requirements that were on you, whether you realized it or not. The law demands requirements. There's things that you had to do, right? Okay, thank you. Now, John 1.17, this is what we talked about. This is the separation between the two covenants we see. John 1.17, it says that the law, what is the law? It is a, what kind of system is it? It's a religious system. It's an if you system. If you do, God will. If you don't, God can't. So that system came by Moses or was given to Moses. But, everybody say but. I'm thankful for that but. But grace. Come on, shout it out. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what do we see through that? Is that out of Jesus comes grace. And out of grace comes truth. So the grace of God is the truth that sets people free. Some people say, I just need freedom in my life. You need more gospel in your life. Because what is the purpose of this grace and truth? Why did it come? The purpose of grace is to wake you up to heaven's perspective. This world, and I mean, you talk about the world systems, the spirit of the world. First John talks about the spirit of the world. It's declaring and telling you that God is ticked off with you. You did this. You don't deserve God. He has wants nothing to do with you. So there's this religious spirit, which is totally anti-Christ, that has gone out into the world. And the message of that religious spirit is, you're not good enough. Do you know what you did? The shame. Nobody could forgive. You're ugly. Man, do you know what you've done? The things that you thought, the things that you've said, the things that you've done, horrible, horrible, unforgivable. You might as well just forget it. And don't even think about walking into those church doors because people are going to look down on you. Those are good people, but you, you're not so good. It talks and talks and talks and talks. And the whole purpose of that is to get you further and further away from a father who says, I'm right here for you. I'm ready to take you in. And listen, anybody think that they're perfect in this room? Show of hands. Perfect. We are in the right place. But we have a perfect God. And so what is the purpose of this grace covenant? This relationship that we got taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed in the kingdom of God's dear son, is to awaken you to heaven's perspective and to awaken you about your true identity. The identity you had, the identity that we, mankind, had at the beginning of the Garden of Eden. Who are we? Oh, I'm just a sinner. Not if you've accepted Jesus. That's not who you are. You've been made completely brand new. All right. So now, everything about this new covenant, talk about grace and truth, it points to Jesus. Come on, we got to just shout out Jesus. Jesus! It points to him. The old covenant points to me and what I don't do. But this new covenant, we're learning to train the way we think so that everything about this new covenant is all about him. Right? Okay. You know, look at this verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. The apostle Paul actually says, he says, wake up. Come on, shout it. Wake up. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to the world? No. Who's he talking to? The church. Who's the church? Us. And so he has to say to the church, awaken to something. That means that the church, we can easily fall asleep into something. So he's telling the church, wake up, wake up, wake up, sound the alarm. And I believe that's part of our call here is to be an alarm. Come on, can we? Depending on who's listening, it may sound annoying to some folk. But our call is to the church saying, wake up to, and then do not sin. So much of the church has flipped this verse that says, do not sin. Do better so that you can wake up to righteousness. 
That is not how this new covenant operates. This new covenant is you have to wake up to who you are. Wake up to the reality of Jesus. Wake up to his, what he's did on the cross for you. Wake up, wake up, wake up, because you no longer identify with that old man. You have now been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wake up, wake up, wake up. We need an awakened church. I mean, over these last three years, we saw what took place in the world, did we not? And it really showed where people were. Man, it sucked with a capital S, but at the same time, it was a good wake-up call to see where people are at. Wake up! (sighs) The church is getting its grit back. God is getting his church back. And it's not, he didn't die for some wimpy, I just can't do nothing, wimpy church that Satan just, you know, eats its lunch and pops the bag, and here we are just this wimpy, can't do nothing, see no miracles, see no presence, experience no gifts of the Spirit, no salvation, no deliverance, no healing ever takes place. We never know what God's going to do. Yes, we do. He said what he wanted to do, and it's all released in this new covenant. So what Paul is trying to get the church is, wake up, y'all! Wake up! It's not who you are. You're not the sick trying to get better. You're the healed and the enemy's trying to put sickness on you. Wake up to who you are. There. So now this leads us, as we said, to the focus of this new covenant, which is the gospel. The gospel. So really, the gospel is all about seeing Jesus. And then seeing you in him. Now this is going a little bit further on here, but this is the wonderful news of the gospel. The old covenant, you had blinders on because you were spiritually dead. But because of what Jesus did, now you're able to see. The cross was a womb. And those that came in through that womb and came out the other side, you have now been able to see clearly what the Father designed and desires all along. So it's no longer an excuse to go, I just, I can't figure any of this out. Stop saying that. Wake up because you are a child of the most high God. (laughs) All right. See Jesus and then see you in him. Now, as we said, the gospel of Christ, the revelation that Paul received is the most powerful thing on this planet. It's the most powerful knowledge on this planet. Do you know how we know that? Some countries won't even let you in when you're carrying it. If you go in and you tell, hey, I'm carrying the gospel. Oh, please, sir, come with us to this back room over here. They won't even let you in some places. So there must be something about this message that absolutely terrifies darkness. And really what you come to know through reading the New Testament is is that Satan is just as scared of the message of the gospel as he is the act of the gospel, which was Jesus died, rose again from the dead. He's just as scared as the act. And when we start proclaiming this gospel, even when we, what uh, the team was just singing up here, and this gospel, this old gospel will not fail, will not faint, it will not bow its knee. We continue to preach this gospel because the gospel is the power of God to deliver. I mean, sorry, it's just salvation. But you know that word at salvation? We've limited in the Christian world, meaning I get saved. I'm no longer going to hell. I go to heaven. Yay, that's part of it. But it also means perseverance. It means safety. It means healing. It means the blessing of God. It means complete deliverance from Satan. So when you start proclaiming the gospel... Deliverance is automatic. Deliverance is there. Healing is there. Salvation is there. Blessing is there. It's all the covenant wrapped up in this one thing called the gospel. Now this revelation, the knowledge that Paul had, was not limited to just him. Did you know that? Paul, you see it all throughout the New Testament. That's why we have our Bible, is because when you start reading it, you get insight into what Paul saw. And here's, the, here's, the, here's wonderful. When you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, anybody else? John. So the four Gospels, when you read that, you get an account from what men saw what happened to Jesus on that cross. They saw the whipping post. They saw the nails being driven into his hands. And you, man, of course, it reaches your heart to go, man, that my, my king would do that for me. But now when you start reading 
the epistles, which is Paul's letters to the churches, you start getting a glimpse of what Paul saw, what God showed him, because what God showed Paul, God, he was able to see what happened from the grave to from hell to being lifted as the resurrected king. You get a glimpse again in the gospels to see what happened naturally. But when you start reading the letters of the apostle Paul, you get a glimpse of what God saw and what Satan saw. Totally different perspective. It's like when you're in, in the gospels, it's kind of like taking a big group photo, right? Everybody's in here and you take a big photo and you go, oh, where am I? Everybody starts looking for where I am, right? In the photo, Is my hair looking good. Did I shave okay? Is my zipper done up? All of those things, right? The gospel is like an x-ray vision. It gives you insight to what's going on inside the body. So the apostle Paul is loaded with this revelation. And then that's why you actually start seeing in Ephesians chapter 1. I won't turn there quite yet. But you see Paul now praying for the church so that they can start seeing what he saw. We can't be limited to church. Sometimes what's limiting us is just what we see. Well, this is just what it is. Have you seen him lately? Church should be the most exciting thing that we ever could do is coming together. I mean, you could do this at home, but when the family comes together, I tell you, we, could, we should be dancing, we should be having fun, we should be shouting, we should be rejoicing, because you've seen something. Now, I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. I love this verse. But the gospel reveals what God did in Christ, right? And then what God did in Christ... The Bible actually goes on to say that he actually did it for us and we get it as if it is accredited to our account. So what Jesus did, I get credit as if I did the same thing. So when the father looks at me, he doesn't go, oh, you're just Joel, I need Jesus and we'll get all the lens. I'm in Jesus. So when he looks at me, he goes, hey, you were crucified with him. How could that be? It's all about identification. Who do I identify with? I identify with Jesus completely. Now I want you to see Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15. Jesus nullified in his flesh the law of the commandments in decrees. Now notice this. He did this. Come on, say this with me. He did this. What did he do? He nullified. He canceled out the law and the ordinances that were against you. And why did he do that? He did this to create in himself, a new man. Come on, shout out, new man. Amen. A new man out of the two between the Jew and the Gentile and making peace. Second Corinthians talks about this new man, any person who is now in Christ, anyone who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've now been in Christed. That's who you are. And the old, the Bible says, has passed away. Behold, or look, see, the fresh and the new has come and everything comes from God. This is the center of the gospel. We cannot, as a church, as an individual, I'm talking to you, you cannot drift away from this reality, what happened from the, the cross to the grave to Jesus being resurrected. Never depart from there. That is your safe zone. Always run back. What happened to Jesus? Who did he, what did he take? What did he identify with? And now Jesus, you took that on for me. And now that you're resurrected, who are you? Does Jesus deal with poverty? Does Jesus deal with sickness? Does Jesus deal with lack? Does Jesus deal with no peace? He deals with none of that. So who do I identify with? Him. He took it. It's mine. It belongs to me. And how do I see that in my life? I speak it. That's who I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Are we all, is this making sense? Are we okay? Okay. Now, I said this last week. I want to mention it again. But in Christ is the signature of the new covenant. The signature. So in Paul's letters, you find 130 times he uses this phrase, in him, in whom, in the beloved. Those are all scriptures that are give the signature. I see JC on every one of them. JC, done. You don't have to try to make it happen. It simply belongs to me because I accept it and I acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior. All those in him verses are mine. That's who I am. I was born again this way. It's the only time you can say that. I was just born this way. I was made righteous. Well, what did you have to do to, to, to get it? 
I didn't have to do anything except acknowledge Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I was given this standing. Now, I want you to remember, he did all this, Jesus did all this to create a new man within himself. A new man that actually Greek literally brings out a new man that has never existed before. Where is that residing? Right here on the inside. And in 1 John, he actually says, man, as he is, so am I in this earth. So how come we're not seeing more of this? How come we're not seeing more power demonstrated? Wake up. We spend so much time, oh God, could you just do? He's already done. He needs a church that's ready to flow and ready to operate because they know who they are in him. They've understood the culture. It's all motivated by love. And you start to see things happen in your life. So the key to this is wake up. All right, now, (laughs) God didn't send Jesus just to help you out a little bit. Jesus came to radically change and help you and I, right? Okay, and I want you to go here. Look at Ephesians chapter one. Now for the Bible, for life to be different for you, the Bible has to be a different book to you. I'm going to say that one more time. For life to be different for you, the Bible has to become a different book to you. Rather than falling asleep to it every night and just like, hoping, okay, I'll just read a couple of verses and I go off to bed. No, it's, it's supposed to come alive to me. How does the word of God become alive in something that I get excited about? It's called revelation knowledge. And when you get a glimpse or when you taste revelation knowledge, I tell you, it's kind of like what Julian was saying this morning, you taste and see that the Lord is good. What is part of that tasting? It's actually starting to experience and starting to taste his wisdom, taste what he says, see things from his perspective. And I tell you, when you see things from his perspective, oh, what? Man, I tell you all, rather than the Bible, you putting you to bed at night, you'll be reading, you'll get excited, you'll have a whole party at midnight. It changes everything to the point. I mean, if you think about it, this guy named the Apostle Paul, who one day you're going to meet. How can this guy who has preached this gospel in the area of Galatia for such a, for a long period of time, all of a sudden the Jewish leaders hate him. Listen, some people even said, man, we, we, we signed a covenant that we're not going to eat or sleep until we killed him. I mean, I've had people mad at me, but they probably had lunch right after church. <laughs> I'm talking about a covenant. These guys sign a covenant. We're not going to eat until this guy is dead. How can this guy who's preached out the gospel, they take him outside, they throw stones at him, left him for dead, and all of a sudden he comes back out of it. And he runs back into the very city that threw him out and tried to kill him. Who does that? Naturally speaking, it's insane. Why are you doing it? Paul, don't you see what they're just doing? But what captivated him? What held him? The love of Christ, we see, constrained him, but he saw something. He saw something. What happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 8? Just before he was being stoned, or after, as he was getting stoned, what did he do? He looked up, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and he said, Father, forgive them. They, they're, this, they're not sure what they're doing. How can you do that? you got to see something. So this new covenant is all about you seeing. And let me encourage you. There's, there should be no like, well, I just don't understand. Just leave it as it is. Man, the Bible says those that knock, the door will be opened. Those that seek, find. Those that ask, it will be given to you. And Jesus is saying this in this state of, I mean, the Amplified really brings out, knock and keep on knocking. That's not because God's not hearing your prayer. That's not because, why well, I guess we're not seeing anything. Just pray harder. That's not what that means. When he's saying knock and keep on knocking, it means when you get a glimpse of him, don't just stop there. Some people settle with the initial revelation they have of Jesus. You may have gotten it a few years ago. And, oh, I, I mean, I've experienced as good as he's good. And it just kind of stays there. And you just kind of allow that revelation from way back then. And that's just okay right now. There's so much more. Listen, John 3, 16, we can say it over and over and over again. We'll be saying it for eternity to come. And yet we've never scratched the surface of how much depth and love and all the nutrients that we could just take out of that verse of the Father's deep care for you and I. 
It's all in there. So let me encourage you, don't just kind of settle with it. It's all about seeing. So Jesus said, your eyes are blessed, they see. Your ears are blessed, they hear. And then on top of it, he said, I'm giving you my spirit. He's going to reveal my, me to you. So don't settle. Come on, church, it's time we wake up. Sometimes we kind of look at this Christmas Eve and go, yeah, Christmas is great. I hope everything just pans out. Man, not stop panning things out. You're the, you're the church of the living God. You're the ecclesia. You're the called out ones. And when you start seeing who he's made you to be because you're in Christ Jesus, oh man, all that stuff that tries to hold you back, those addictions, all those things that cheap struggle for you, they just fall off you because you are free. So now Paul says this, and this is what his prayer is. And I want to encourage you, this is an endless prayer. Pray it daily over yourself. Pray it over your family. Pray it constantly. We pray this over the church family regularly. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Verse 18, since the eyes, say it with me, eyes. The eyes of your what? Heart? What is that? You got eyes here. You got two sets of eyes. Well, I just got these two. No, no, you got eyes here. These are the ones that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal Jesus to. But we get so caught up naturally. So he's saying, we got to pray for the eyes of your heart being lightened. Other translations say that the eyes of your heart be full of light. Because what happens when light comes, what does darkness do? Anybody ever, you know, you got little bugs or something in, a, in an attic or in a, in a tight zone. What happens when you shine a light on it? What happened to all the critters? They scatter. Well, when light comes, guess what the devil does? He takes off. He hates light. Listen, light and darkness don't coexist. When light comes in, it expels darkness. This is what it does. So this is why we're praying the eyes of my heart being enlightened. I need the light of the word. And look at this. Continue on, guys. So that the eyes of my heart being enlightened so that I can know some things. Come on, anybody want to know a few things? These are some of the biggest questions that the church is asking. I want to know, what is my calling? What am I supposed to do for God? You've got to see it on the inside. So this is why Paul's praying. I'm praying that you get a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I'm praying the eyes being enlightened on your heart so that you could see the calling. Then he says, what, is, what else do I want to know? The wealth of his inheritance in me. He's put an inheritance on the inside of you. Well, I'm not seeing it. You have to see it. It's a spiritual law. You have to see it so you can see it. God doesn't work from these eyes in. He works from these eyes out. So I was going, Lord, I'm spending time in your word. Lord, show me. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for this. Teach me your word. I want to see these in him realities. In him, I'm righteous. You spend time thinking on it, meditating it, talking to yourself. And all of a sudden, light will come on and you go, oh, I see it. I see it. I see it. I see it. You get excited about that. And you start putting the devil in his place. The glorious inheritance in the saints. And notice what else he says. And what is the incomparable? Greatness of his power toward us who believe. He's talking about knowing the authority that you have as a child of God. The devil is scared of you. You're not scared of him. He's saying, I need to see this. And this incomparable greatness. And he says, it's been displayed. Keep going on, guys. As displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. What kind of power is working on the inside of you right now where you're sitting, December 17th? What kind of power is on the inside of you? It is immense. It is the same power that he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Where else? Where is this? Far. Come on. Far above all authority and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the one who is to come. And then he says, God put all, come on y'all, all, all things under his feet. What does that include? Depression, anxiety, anger, sickness, poverty. He put it all under Christ's feet and he gave him to be the head of the church, as, as the head of a church over all things. Now the church, who's the church? You and I. 
We are his body. And if he put all things under his feet, guess where you and I are? We're in the body, and so all things are under your feet. So what is Paul praying? Church, you got to wake up to see this. So rather than circumstances bulldozing you over and over and over again, you start to say, that is enough. I'm a child of God. I've been placed in the body. This is who I am. This is what I've received because I'm in him. And you start speaking those things and watch the kingdom of God move on your behalf because God always honors his word. Come on, y'all. This is who we are. And we feel all in all. Man. We just had some church, y'all. <laughs> now, again, the focus of this covenant is to see Jesus and to see you in him. So what is this covenant? To see Jesus and to see you in him. Now, this grace, this grace that is amazing grace. <clears throat> Let's look at the definition of what grace is again, because we've talked a little bit about it, but we say grace is unmerited, and that's all true. Grace is, you know, God's love, it's his kindness, and that's all true. But I got this definition, and I want to present it to you because it is it's beautiful. I think it just kind of packs the whole thing. But it says grace is the unmerited, abounding provision of the unrestrained, unrestrained operation of God's infinite love through Jesus Christ on behalf of man, especially those who depend on him. We went last week real briefly that the grace of God is God's providence or it's his provision. What God creates, he will take care of. So this world is not going to explode in the next three years. Unless God comes the second coming and he erupts the whole thing. But we as people are not going to blow it up because God created this earth so he's going to protect this earth. He's going to make sure it's still standing strong for his creation to live on. Because again, what's the whole purpose of the enemy is fear, fear, fear. Because fear moves people to do crazy things. To even believe that, hey, the, the world was supposed to be gone a long time ago. And hey I'm still here. I think there was an acid rain at one point. I wasn't even around for the acid rain. So there always will be fear tactics to motivate people to do something crazy. Well, where you and I aren't motivated by fear, the love of God now controls us. And we go, Lord, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the itty bitty baby in his hands. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. <laughs> So I just felt the spirit of carry come on me. I got a itty bitty. <laughs> so this grace, this grace, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God views you and deals with you according to this new covenant. Not according to the old. He deals with you through grace. Can anybody say thank God for that? <laughs> oh man, could you imagine? We had a, you know, 5,000 cattle that got to come up here and got to slit every throat pour blood on all y'all. This will wreck the carpet. We just put it in. Like, it make, it's just a mess after mess. But now Jesus became that living sacrifice. So <clears throat> what we see here now, the first slice, I mean, we talked about it being a pie. The first slice of the pie is grace is the operation of God's love. So it's not God just saying, I love you, and there's no operation. Grace is me saying, I love you, and here's the proof. Like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, period. No. For God so loved the world that he gave. So love, when you see love in action, you will always find giving attached to it. There's no such thing as ungiving love. It gives of your time. It gives of your resources. It's, it's what love is. It's give, 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 give. God loved the world so much that he gave. So this is the first slice. And the reason why we're taking time on this, because the Bible tells us it is good for your heart to be established in this grace. So you got to get scriptures on the inside of you real solid so that when the world comes and things try to attack you, you are so rooted in what the grace of God says and what the grace of God has done that no matter what comes my way, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Why am I a conqueror? 
Because I'm Joel Housing. I'm just, I can do that. I just conquer everything. No, in myself, I would be nothing. But because he loves me and I'm mindful of it and I'm renewing my mind to his love, I put my trust in his love, no matter what comes my way, I will always win. I don't look to win. I'm already starting from this place of victory. I'm victorious in Christ Jesus. So it's from that place I operate. It's from that place I speak. It's from that place that I declare, I am a winner. This church is a winning church. That's not mean that others' churches are losing. That's not what it is. It's not competitive. It's meaning I know who I am. I know who we are. We are a winning people. Paul would say, wake up to this. You guys see that meme over these years? Like, if, this, if the Apostle Paul was right, for sure we'd be getting a letter. Anybody see that meme? meme? Well, I think that's true. But at the same time, I think a big part of what he would say is, wake up. Man, I think, you know, if you had brought King David up here, he'd kick the pulpit and say, wake up. I didn't even have this grace. You got it. Let's go. (laughs) All right. Thank you for that. Now, the first slice is what? Grace is the operation of God's love. First slice. Second slice is this. God's love is infinite. It's infinite. We're talking about the grace of God. God's love is infinite. What does infinite mean? Real simply, it's limitless. It is endless. Listen, don't let these words go in one ear and out the other. When you start thinking about this, God's love is infinite. There is no dead end to this love. There's nothing that you're crazy cannot be dissolved by the love of God. Some people think, well, God, Lord, you have no idea the crazy stuff that I've done. You don't understand the depth, the length, the breadth, the height of this love, and your crazy can't shut up the grace of God. Where sin abounds, guess what grace does? It much more abounds. The Amplified actually says it super abounds. So anything, I love this between God and, and kingdom of darkness and God, is that every time darkness tries one thing, God doesn't just go one step above it. Anybody remember that game Whack-A-Mole? Whack, right? And the little thing pops up, whack. God doesn't play whack-a-mole with the enemy. He blew the whole hole up. And so as Christians, we kind of go, whack. Oh, devil, whack. Devil, stop it, whack. And we just start whacking all these things. Meanwhile, the power of God that's in you went, forget it, stick a dynamite, (laughs) blew up the whole thing. And meanwhile, the church is still... We get ticked off and God saying, I blew the whole thing up. Wake up. <laughs> and this love is infinite. <laughs> Thank God for whack-a-mole. Now, <laughs> look at this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. This is so powerful. It says, we know. Come on, say it. We know. What is this knowing? It's not just head knowledge. It has also become experiential knowledge. We know and we've come to experience how much God loves me. We know. And we have put our trust in his love. See, sometimes where people go, I have a hard time believing some of the promises of God. Well, what you're saying is you have a hard time believing in his love for you. Because it's his love that motivated and has given everything, every promise that you and I would ever stand on. Why does he heal you? Because he loves you. Why does he prosper you financially? Come on, this is huge, guys. This is it. People go, I'm just having a hard time financially. I I just need money. No, you need a revelation of the Father's love for you. Oh, I'm just dealing with another addiction. I got another problem coming my way. Hi, this is just what it is. God loves me. And I don't just know that. I've actually started now to move from this experiential. I'm trusting this love. That no matter what comes my way, Christmas season's around us. I, am, I trust his love for me. Therefore, my family, there's peace in my home. I know he loves me. They can act however they want to act, but I am going to stay in peace. How do you do that? Jesus loves me, this I know. That's the root. 
This is the whole stance that I take. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me. Now, again, the focus of the New Testament is not how much you love God, but it's now how much do you know that God loves you and are you trusting his love for you? I'm, um, should I read this last? I got about eight more verses. Should I read those to you real quick? Okay, thank you. Romans chapter eight, let's read these real quick. I like it in the Passion Bible. It says it like this. So what all this mean? <laughs> if God has determined, listen to some of these words, okay? You've probably read these over and over again, but it's good to hear with fresh ears. Let's see it on the inside. God has determined to stand with me. Tell me who could, who? Who's standing with me? God is. Who then could ever stand against us? <laughs> okay, verse 32. It's a rhetorical question. Paul doesn't even have to answer it because it just is like, if God is on your side, what are they going to do? He says, God has proved his love. He's proved it by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for all, he certainly won't uh, withhold from us anything else that he has to give. Verse 33. Verse 33, it says, Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen to, in love to be his? Is that right on the screen? You guys see that? Yes. God himself is the judge <laughs> who has issued his final verdict over us saying, so if God the judge has already said not guilty, who dare could condemn you? No one. Verse 34, who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So, dot, dot, dot. Do you guys see those? You've, I, so, how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually, listen, look who's praying for you. He's continually praying for your triumph. <laughs> Yo, it's great to know that, hey, your wife is praying for you, your husband's praying for you, your family's praying for you, whoever. But it's another thing when you hear Jesus, the head of the church, the Lord, the King is saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith stands strong. I'm praying to see you through on this. And it's not just, oh, I hope it works out. No, you got the King saying, I got your back on this. Man, verse 35. So who could ever separate us from the endless, no dead end, the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For I usually read better than this. For, we're going to go all the way to 39, y'all. For, verse 35. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No. For they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake. God, we are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet, even in the midst of all these things, verse 37, we triumph over them all, for God has made us. Come on, say, he's made me. Remember Ephesians 2.15, Jesus in himself made a new man. What is this new man like? He has made me. Do you guys see that? He has made me to be more than conquerors and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So let me ask you this question. Who are you? A conqueror. Not just a conqueror, more than a conqueror. Come on, church, I want you all to say this. Who are you? Through him who loves me. Who are you? Finish it. Because in yourself, nothing. 
But this is a question that the devil's going to start asking. Who do you think you are? I'm more than a conqueror because he loves me. This has to be on the tip of your tongue. This has to be rolling all throughout this week. As you head into Christmas, I am more than a conqueror. Depression is going to try to poke its head. Jealousy is going to try to poke its head. Anything you can imagine is going to try to poke its head. Finally, when things get good, it all of a sudden seems like some problem happens. Stop that. Wake up. Who are you? I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. That's who I am. That's my response. Trouble comes, just go, no, 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 no. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. You know what you're doing? You're activating this covenant. You're putting into action because for a lot of times, I think angels are overpaid and underworked. They are doing nothing and they're sitting there and they're waiting for the servants, the sons and daughters of God to say some things so they can start working. Church, what and who are you? I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. That's my stance. It's why? Because of the grace of God. Finishing off verse 38, he says, so now I live with confidence. Woo, how do you live confidently? I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. God never created a shy person. You're not shy. You're not this weak, timid person because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. What's my sound mind? I'm more than a conqueror. So I live with confidence that there is nothing in the universe that with the power to separate me from God's love. I am convinced. Come on, can we say that? I'm convinced that his love, his love will triumph over death. Whew. Come on, triumph over death? We just celebrated Gwen Fisher's life yesterday. What did she step into? A grand entrance of victory over death. I mean, we kind of, we somber, we go, oh man, death, death, death. When God looks at it, he goes, another one just beat it. Death has no sting on you. Triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances. When they want to talk about COVID-25, they can talk all they want. There is nothing today, tomorrow, that can weaken his love. So where there is, so verse 39 says, there is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Who are you church? You are a beloved son and daughter of the most high God. That is the greatest place to be because all of heaven and earth, it could blow up and pass away, but you won't because his love will keep you strong. I don't know about you, church, but this sounds like, hey, this is victory time. This time, 24, be a solid year for you. I'm declaring solid. Come on, solid year. Can we all stand up together? Thank you, Jesus. Say it, I'm solid. <laughs> and if you need to work out physically, go for it. I'm not talking just necessarily physically. I'm talking a sound mind, solid minds that are glued to what the Word of God has to say. Solid spirits that are rooted and grounded in the love that he has for us. Amen. Can we just say a few things and then we go? Okay, let's just declare this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare that I'm in right standing with you. I am strong. I am solid. I am more than a conqueror because you love me. My days of depression... Lack, inferiority, anxiety, oppression, it stops now in the name of Jesus. Now touch your head, lay hands on your head. Now say this, soul, you be strong in God's word, full of peace, full of grace, full of truth. You are loved, you are strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, in Jesus' name. Ah, I rest in that. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Julie, come on up, sir.